630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad. Update the scores here. Flyers up 1-0 on the Canadians. Second period about to start. Canucks and Blues 830 at Rogers Place. Avalanche shut out the Coyotes 3-0. Islanders beat the Capitals 4-2. And the Bruins beat the Hurricanes 4-3 in double overtime. Patrice Bergeron got the game winner there. Of course, these are all game number one in those series. Blue Jays uh, still down 11-6 to the Marlins in the bottom of the sixth, and the Raptors uh, not looking good against the 76ers tonight, down 113-104 with just over four minutes left in the fourth quarter. Well, some big upsets in the qualifying round of the Stanley Cup playoffs. Of course, the Oilers, the number five seed, fell to number 12, Chicago. And in my mind, the biggest upset of them all, number 12, Montreal, over number five, Pittsburgh. And there are changes in Penguin land. And to discuss that and probably some other pleasant topics from the Penguins Radio Network, a two-time Stanley Cup champion, Phil Bork, checking in tonight. Phil, you're on with Reed. How's life, man? Well, usually when I come on your show, I'm brutally honest with you, so I will continue that trend. And uh, life could be a lot better. Uh, my personal life is is great. I'm expecting a little girl at the end of October, so I'm thrilled to death uh, for that. And the uh, pandemic slash quarantining um, has allowed me to be with my girl every single day. So on a personal level, it's, it's great. On a professional level, uh, I feel like I'm waking up to a nightmare every day. Uh, the reality that the Penguins lost to the Canadians um, and just the way that they lost uh, I thought I was pissed off on Friday when they lost, and I found myself even more pissed off on a Wednesday. Well, I do appreciate your honesty, and that's why we, we like having you on the show, because you tell it how you see it, and you always have an opinion. And I got to tell you, Phil, I mean, I picked the Oilers to, to beat the Blackhawks, but people said to me, well, you're disrespecting the Blackhawks. I said, no. I said, I'm just picking the Oilers. I can see a scenario where the Blackhawks win the series, and they did. I honestly really couldn't see a scenario where the Canadians beat the Blackhawks, uh, but it happened, and, and it happened in four games. From from your perch, what what were the keys to Montreal getting past the Pens in four? I've been asked that question numerous times over the last few days, and I continue to search for an answer to tell you why. What I can tell you, Reed, is what I observed, and this leads to my attitude uh, that I have about this this hockey club and what transpired in the four-game series. Uh, I also, I I picked Edmonton to beat Chicago. I didn't think it was going to be easy, and it easily could have gone five games. And by picking the Edmonton Oilers, I I don't think you're disrespecting the Chicago Blackhawks. Just the same way that I'm not disrespecting Carey Price and the Montreal Canadiens and Claude Julien by picking the Penguins. They're just a better team on paper, as are the Oilers against the Blackhawks. But here's what happens. If we're talking about, you know, just a five-game mini-series in the middle of November, it's different. When you're talking about everything on the line and fighting for your playoff life in a five-game series, there has to be a certain attitude. There has to be a certain sacrifice. And collectively, the Penguins were not ready to pay that price, and the Montreal Canadiens were. They were diving around blocking shots. Every single player, and I'm going to quote Brett Kulak, their defenseman, said that every, every player on our team has bought in and is willing to get their nose dirty. 
I have a tough time counting on one hand how many Penguin players were really, Reed, I'm talking about really getting your nose dirty. I'm talking about playoff nose dirty. I can barely count on one hand. I don't have an answer for you why. I don't know if the coaches, I don't know if the general manager or the owners or even the players know why. Maybe they didn't like being in the bubble. Maybe they missed their family. Maybe they thought, oh, man, nine weeks of this? I don't think so. I miss my honey. I miss the warm bed. I miss all the other stuff I get along with my honey, and I miss my kids and all that. Maybe that was it. I don't know, Reed. I have no answer for you, and I'd only be stabbing uh, at, uh, at useless things trying to figure out why because this, this is probably the toughest loss for me as a Penguin, 10 years a player, now 16 years a broadcaster, the toughest loss I've ever witnessed uh, and probably the toughest loss in Penguin history. Wow. Well, that's no. First of all, you got to hand it to the Penguins because they're in the playoffs every year, which means, I mean, Ken Holland said it great yesterday. He said, I was in Detroit and I, I remember the pain of all the years we didn't win the Stanley Cup, right? I mean, most, it ends disappointing for most teams. And didn't the, didn't the Penguins have a 3 1? Didn't they blow a 3 1 series lead to the Lightning uh, one year? They might have been a little beat up in that series, but do you think that was, this one's even tougher, eh? Yeah. We did uh, against the Rangers, too. If you remember, Marty St. Louis' mom passed away in that series. Um, and Marty played his, his butt off. Um, and they came back and beat us. So, yeah, there's been some tough losses. You know, some people say the 93 New York Islanders beating the Penguins. That steamrolled everybody in the regular season. Right. And the uh, David Volek overtime goal. That was a tough one. You know, losing to the Flyers in, in 2012 so embarrassingly and the, and just imploding. 2013, getting swept by the Boston Bruins. But that was that was a conference final. You got all, all the way to the conference final, and Tuka Rask was out of his mind. There's been some other tough ones, but this one here is probably the most humbling, considering, as you mentioned, the Montreal Canadiens, 24th of the 24 teams invited to the dance. And they were sellers at the deadline with Nick Cousins and, and um, a slew of players. Kovalchuk and a whole bunch of guys, uh, Nate Thompson, all being shipped off as they were sellers at the deadline. So they they fired the assistant coaches today, which is uh, Recky Gonchar and Jacques Martin. What what do you make of that? The head coach is, is still around, and Sullivan's obviously been excellent. What do you make of changing the the assistants? And and you would have played and probably had assistants that were, you know, had, had to move on while you were playing too. What does that mean when when the assistants are let go? Well, sometimes I was happy to see them go uh, because it was time for them to go. I mean, I'm, I'm being honest with you. Uh, yeah. And they knew that it was coming. Uh, I don't think any of these coaches, assistant coaches, saw it coming. Um, you know, Sergey Gonchar, that's so respected uh, for what he did here as a player and really, really liked as a head coach. I mean, as an assistant coach working with the defenseman. <clears throat> I will say this, Reed, and I don't know if a lot of people know this, but Sergey Gonchar's family lives in Dallas. So he would spend a lot of time in Dallas. So, you know, there'd be gaps, you know, two weeks, three weeks sometimes where we're like, where's Gonch? Oh, he's back in Dallas with his family, which had to be really difficult for him. So you feel for him. But I don't know if that came into the decision. The Penguins knew that when they brought him in as assistant coach. Uh, but maybe they felt it just wasn't working. We need a guy, either you're all in or you're all out. Uh, Mark Recchi maybe took the fall for the way the power play was. That was... I think kind of his baby because he was such a 
power play specialist as a player. Uh, and Jacques Martin, I think, just got caught up in the wash, uh, in the wake, if you will, um, as, as a guy that ran the defense. And I think you could say that Chris Letang, you know, his numbers bared out that he had a good year, but, man, made a lot of mistakes throughout the year that make you shake your head that why is he making so many mistakes? Um, and then you look at Jack Johnson, the way he played, Justin Schultz, the way he played. Uh, you know, you could say, well, that's on that's on uh, Jacques Martin, the random defenseman. But you could also say John Marino was off the charts good. Um, Pedersen really took a giant step forward. Uh, Brian Dumoulin, we know how solid he is. So it can go both ways. But at the end of the day, Mike Sullivan has a four-year extension that kicks in next year. You do the math there, Reed. And l- let me make something clear. Gonchar, Martin, and Recchi were not fired. Their contracts were not renewed. Their contracts okay, were thank you. At the okay. end of June. Yeah. yeah, so we need to be crystal clear on that, that they were not fired. Their, their contracts expired at the end of June. They were extended for the bonus hockey that was being played, and then their contracts were not renewed. Okay. All right. Uh, Phil Bork joining us tonight at Inside Sports, talking about the uh, Penguins season. They fell to Montreal in the qualifying round. Canadians trailing the uh, Flyers here early in the second period, one nothing. Looks like the Canadians have picked it up, though, a little bit to start the second period. That epic overtime game yesterday, Phil, uh, you know, Rob Brown was on the show in the first half hour because he played in the third longest game in overtime history back in May of 2000, the Penguins against the Flyers. Uh, longest game you ever played in or maybe an overtime game that felt like it was the longest game you ever played in? Oh, uh, boy. Um, I didn't play in any long one. So that's why I'm kind of hemming and hawing right now, trying to buy some time <clears throat> and think of it. Um, I think I might have played in one double overtime game, and that was it. And I do remember them bringing in probably four or five pizzas and guys digging into that in between. But maybe that was just the end of regulation. I'd have to go back, Reed. Um, I don't I don't remember those super long overtime games. Uh, but every, every time I went to an overtime, it felt like eternity. So that's kind of where I was putting myself as I flopped my big ass on the couch drinking beer last night watching the game, and that uh, I was just thinking, man, like, what are you doing in between periods? You know, like, like how, like, you know, adrenaline can get you so far and fitness can get you so far, but I, I was surprised that more guys weren't cramping up, and maybe that's because the game was in the middle of the day. I don't know if that had something to do with it, uh, but, you know, you think about games in the middle of the day as, a, as an NHLer, you're eating a little bit lighter uh, as far as, you know, little breakfast foods and snacks and stuff like that, where if it's a normal game day, you're carbo-loading at 12.30 or 1 o'clock in the afternoon, and, and then away you go. So uh, that I was, all those things were firing off in my head. I, I didn't play in a very long uh, game anywhere as close to that. The longest I ever played in Reed was probably a double overtime. Uh, and, again, I don't, I don't remember what it was like, uh, but I do remember – overtime being gut-wrenching so for me just to be in one overtime and feel like my insides were being uh twisted inside out uh i can't imagine what it was like to be in a five or or even a six overtime which is the nhl record okay so so when you were in the playoffs i mean you played 56 playoff games in the nhl that's that's a fair amount of playoff games uh you know went to the cup final we're, or even a game tied late in the third period. Did you go on the ice thinking I'm going to be the guy that gets gets the game winner, or were you thinking I got to be the guy that doesn't screw up to let the other team score? What was your mindset? Oh, good question. Uh, probably the latter. 
probably yeah. the latter. Because um, if I was going out there towards the end of a uh, regulation with the score tied, uh, I was probably going out there with Mario because Mario was so good defensively, uh, good at face-offs, all of that. Um, and I did play with Mario quite a bit. Uh, that I was thinking defense first, uh, and if I get the puck, just look for 66. So that, that was my that was number one is to be really strong defensively. I know why, why I was tapped on the back by the head coach, whether it was Badger Bob Johnson or Scotty Bowman, because they trusted me for my, my defensive game, but also knew if I get the puck, just get it to 66. Yeah, well, that was never a bad plan. I remember him scoring a few. <laughs> Couple. So, yeah, it's just a couple. Hey, Phil, it's it's always great to, to catch up with you. I always appreciate your energy and your honesty and, and great analysis of what happened with the Penguins and all the best with the upcoming addition to the family. That's really, really cool. I know we'll talk down the road. Brownie says hi. Have a great evening watching the games, man. All right. All my love to Brownie. You know, he's one of my favorites of all time. We have a great relationship. So uh, all the best to Brownie. And uh, anytime you want to talk hockey, Reed, you got my number. I enjoyed this like always, and it was good hockey talk. Excellent stuff. Yeah, I love it. That's Phil Bork. Thanks for coming on, Phil, analyst for the Penguins Radio Network. So there he talks, but he says he can't tell you why. It's it's kind of an ongoing theme, as we've talked about. Oilers with the Leafs, uh, with the Penguins, there just wasn't that little bit extra you need to win in a playoff series, block a shot, back-checking, getting in a shooting lane, whatever it was, uh, it just wasn't there for some of the teams that were eliminated. And uh, as he said, the Penguins parting ways with three assistant coaches. He's corrected me, not being fired. Parting ways, contracts won't be renewed for Mark Recchi, Sergei Gonchar, and Jacques Martin. High expectations pretty much every year for the Penguins. And let's face it, they've lived up to them quite a bit, but not this year. Disappointing loss at the hands of the Canadians. All right, we'll keep you updated on the other town scoreboard. Uh, somebody t- texted that they were trying to call in so if you do want to chat we will have a few minutes before the bottom of the hour for tuning in tonight kelly rudy will make his weekly appearance on inside sports tomorrow always fun to catch up with kelly and uh, we're with you every night six to eight uh, we usually bring you games in the conference finals and the stanley cup final of the playoffs uh i'm not confirmed but i we, we always try to do that so i would think we'll have games for you this year as well so that'll be fun to bring you some live sports uh, don't know what's going to happen with the canadian football league not sure if the EEs are going to be playing. We'll talk a little bit about that with Morley Scott in the next half hour of the show. And obviously, we don't really know what exactly is going to happen with the National Hockey League next season. I, you know, I get the odd uh, text from you guys writing in about that, or I'll have a, a friend or a family member saying, well, what, when, are you, when, are you, when are the Oilers back? Uh, it's, it's my understanding that they were told in their exit meetings to be ready to come to a camp in November and start games in late November or December. But we don't know exactly what's going to happen. I mean, the NHL has said that they want to put on a full season for next year. They want to play all 82 games and have a full playoffs. And 
you know, maybe the season ends in, in June or early July, and then the calendar is totally reset for the fall of 2021. The bottom line is we don't know how they're going to do that. I'm sure they're planning it. I'm sure they have a lot of different scenarios worked out. They haven't gone public with any of them yet. There's certainly no rush to do it. I think the NHL has handled this part of the return to play very well. They've set up the bubbles well. There have been no positive COVID tests inside the bubble. The games are, are going off without fans. Uh, they're all televised, all that kind of stuff. So that is all systems go so far. And for this tournament to finish, then what happens? I, I mean, look, we still we still could be looking at playing without fans or maybe with limited fans or, or limited fans and people wearing masks in arenas. That's a possibility. What's what's up with the border now? Players have been allowed to to travel to come play in the games. Are is the border going to be open for just free travel of of teams going back and forth? Are the players themselves going to feel safe traveling? I, I guess I can ask you if you were an NHL player, do you want to go on a road trip where it's uh, Dallas Monday, Tampa Bay Wednesday, and Florida on Friday? Just picking three cities that have had a, a lot of COVID cases in the United States. And then if the NHL says, well, okay, we'll, we'll try to do bubbles and, and hubs. All right. And you're going to try to get in 82 games with players away from home for maybe months on end, or do you do some sort of a partial hub where maybe you say, okay, well, everybody's going to be in this city for a month and then maybe they get to go home for two or three weeks. I think the NBA has talked about something like that for, for next season. So a lot of questions around it. I, I, I mean, to everybody who has asked me, I, I don't know what's going to happen. We're still a ways away. We did see how the NHL waited and waited and waited until declaring with certainty where the games were going to be for the playoffs. We all remember the story. It looked like it was going to be Vegas and Vancouver, fell apart in Vegas, COVID cases, or pardon me, it fell apart in Vancouver, COVID cases went up in Vegas, and Edmonton and Toronto wind up being the hubs. And the NHL didn't wait, you know, rush that process. They waited for as long as they can. So they can probably wait, heck, maybe even into October to deciding how next season is going to work. But they, they want to do a full 82 games. And it'll probably be a bit compressed and they want next season to end hopefully late June, maybe early July. And then you have the off season and then you're back into a September training camp and a October start of the season in the fall of 2021. That is ideally what they want. A lot has to happen before it can actually work out that way. But that's all I can tell you about the next National Hockey League season. David texts in, he says, Reed, I am one of those diehard Leafs fans. Since I saw them win in 62, 63, 64, and 67, Marner and Nylander, the number one issue with seasoned fans is the salaries of those players. He says, Leon Dreisaitl in comparison is a steal. That's David texting in, 780-496-0063. Back after the news and weather. Jay Weber has scored for the Montreal Canadiens his third goal of the postseason. 1-1 with Philadelphia, 5-22 left in the second period. Game one in Toronto. Canucks and Blues 
get going in about an hour at Rogers Place. Earlier, the Avalanche shutting out the Coyotes 3-0. They got three goals in a minute 23 in the third period, though they were controlling the game, badly outshooting the Coyotes. Islanders beat the Capitals 4-2, and it is the Bruins outlasting the Hurricanes 4-3 in double overtime. Oh, and Philadelphia just scored as I was looking down reading the scores. I, uh, Kellen, did you see who potted that one? I did not, no. Uh, uh, they're just going back to the bench. I'll have it for you in a second. But uh, Philadelphia has gone right back ahead just shortly after the Canadians tied the game. Price played it behind the net. Canadians got it to the blue line, couldn't get it out, shot from the line, redirected. Price made the initial save. But it's Farabee right on the doorstep, doorstep to collect his own rebound from the tip and slam it home. So Philly goes up 2-1. Tomorrow, Blue Jackets and Lightning are going to play again. Blackhawks and Golden Knights, Hurricanes and Bruins, and Flames and Stars will be uh, the late game tomorrow night at Rogers Place. The Blue Jays uh, now, now trailing 11-9 in the bottom of the seventh. It was 8 nothing for the Marlins, two and a half innings into the game. The Blue Jays have chipped away two in the third, two in the fourth, two in the fifth, two in the sixth, and one so far in the seventh. They're still batting. The Marlins also added three in the fifth, so that's been a crazy game. And the Raptors in the NBA bubble, oh, they came back to win 125-121 over the 76ers. They were down like nine points with four minutes to go. So the Raptors get the victory. All right. Well, this is a treat. This this seems like this seems like too good for this show. Morley Scott's on the line. Hey, Morley. Hey, somebody canceled or what? <laughs> yeah, ex- yeah, exactly. We had Michael Jordan, but he canceled. So we said, Mook's the next best guest we could get. Morley Scott. <laughs> How are you, Rio? I'm doing well. How's life? How's the grandson? Uh, he's uh, he's wonderful. He's absolutely spectacular. He's growing like a weed. He's a joy to look at and a joy to hold and a joy to be around. How old is he now? Uh, he just turned five months on the ninth. So, yeah, okay. five months old. So, so how long until he can caddy for me? I will pay. Not uh, well, but I'll pay. But- well, um, probably a year or two, maybe. He can caddy for you in about a year or two, I think. Yeah. I, w- I wouldn't let him drive the cart, though. No, that would traumatize a kid seeing me golf. Like, <laughs> he'd be scarred for life. He'd be like, Grandpa Morley. <laughs> he, uh, he he doesn't really come from a golfing family. Uh, uh, his dad golfed a little bit when he was younger, uh, but uh, with me. But we haven't golfed. I haven't golfed in probably ten years. It hurts my back too much every time I golf. So uh, I, I like to watch golf, uh, but I haven't been on the golf course in a long, long time. Well, your back is sore because you carry the six thirty Shed Sports Department. There you go, Morley. Ooh, yeah, right. Okay. <laughs> What, uh, I'm the first uh, one up, let's put it that way. Well, you are, yeah, you're up uh, way early. What time did you get up again? Uh, about 4 o'clock, a little bit before, but around 4 o'clock at the latest. And you're on air when, 5.30-something? 5.55 uh, for the first sports guest. Oh, right, okay. Well, so you got a lot of time to, to prep, and you're doing, doing everything from home. Have you? I, I got to go to the station for the five <laughs> Oilers games. Have you been into the shop for anything? Yeah, I had to go in and voice a commercial. I, uh, I've been in twice since March 17th when I last did sports 
at the studio. Uh, the first time I went in, I just went in the back door and into the into the studio to record and was back out again. Uh, but last time I went in, I made uh, I made a pass through the building just to see if my desk was still there and if I thought I looked at it at my desk see if I needed anything. Obviously, after five months, I didn't. But I, I had a look at it just to see if it was there. And I, I went in and peeked at the setup that uh, Jack and Bob had uh, for the hockey games and everything. So that was just before the uh, just before the games began. So that was it. I've only been in twice. So I kind of well, miss, I miss seeing people read. Yeah, it is a little different. Well, I miss seeing some people. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> I'm, I'm, a, I'm a, a curmudgeon, though. It. It's a good way to phrase it. Yes, you are. But that setup, I, I'm hoping maybe you and Dave will use it if there's a CFL bubble, but it seems one day there's optimism and then the next day there's pessimism. I don't know. I mean, they got to decide right away here. Yeah, absolutely. I think this week uh, I, I heard from somebody who's involved today that we might get an announcement tomorrow or Friday on something. Uh, and from what I understand, it can still go either way. Uh, did you see the tweet by uh, Riker Matthews today, offensive lineman? Yeah, he uh, said it's that, done. Uh, that they're not playing, did yeah. he? Yeah, he said, I'm looking, I'm looking for a job. It's, quote, we, uh, looks like the CFL probably won't be having a season. They told us to pursue any other off-season employment opportunities we might have. And then he okay. said, you can DM me if you have a job for me. So if you got a job for Riker Matthews, send him a DM. He'll <laughs> have to send me his resume. I don't know much about him. But, uh, yeah, I mean, it's tough because six games is not a lot. For guys, uh, I mean, and you hear like some players saying, "Well, I wouldn't play six games." And I've seen, I follow Craig, uh, Greg Ellingson on uh, Instagram, and he's been totally yeah. like, "I don't care. I'll come play half a game." Yeah, so you never, you never yeah. know. You never know what you might get if they do go with a. I mean, it'd be one thing if it was ten or twelve games, but six to me puts it in a kind of an odd category. Yeah. You'll lose some guys with six games. I think eight to ten games, most people would be in, but you'll lose some guys with uh, with just six games. And some guys have – Brandon Banks has already opted out. He's already said he's not going to play until 2021. Uh, so I, I think, though, it's a whole different ball game, though, Reed, when – Nobody knows what's happening. Once they say, okay, we're going to play six games, we want you to be in Winnipeg September 15th to play those games and begin training camp, then guys might say, you know what, I'm going to go. It's six games. It's only going to be two months. I can go home and start training again for next year. I think once, if they get to the point where they're going to play and they announce it, I think a lot of guys then will will not be as trepidatious to go. I think they'll make the decision to, to just go and play because if there's one thing athletes love to do, it's compete, and they're working hard in training, and they miss the guy in the dressing room and I think they all want to be a part of it at some point and if the option's there I think most of them will take that option and and is that the the timeline now that they might not kick off games that counted until October and then you're not going up against as much hockey and as much NBA playoff yeah, we always heard it would be Labor Day, right? They always talked about Labor Day for the start. I think that's that's gone now because you have to have, you know, a two-week uh, uh, quarantine and you have to have, uh, you know, at least a week of training camp, maybe a preseason game, and they just don't have enough time for that now to start on Labor Day uh, because they have basically haven't got an agreement in place yet. So they haven't found out about the federal money either. So I think it's going to be more late September now. Uh, the last date I heard was, I think it was September 14th, where they said uh, that's when players would report to Winnipeg after quarantining in their home cities before they traveled to Winnipeg. Uh, so that's the latest date. And, and I've also heard that the CFL even has thoughts of playing into December, which December in Winnipeg, I don't know if I want to be a part of that. <laughs> but we'll, well see. 
I guess well, I can't yeah. complain after missing after missing it for so long. You can't complain because it's a little chilly. Well, yeah, well you the might windows be, closed in the press you, box. You, or, or you'd be happy to just be calling games from Chet. <laughs> yeah, that's if, right. If, that's if, right. If that's what it comes down to. Okay. Well, we'll watch for that. That's been an ongoing <laughs> sag. And, and, man, I miss the – I mean, it was, it's nice having the hockey on, but I miss the Canadian Football League as well. I mean, we're usually just kind of getting rolling into the into the second third of the season. Morley Scott, play-by-play voice for the EEs here on 630 Chet, joining us. How much of yesterday's uh, marathon game did you get to watch? Uh, I watched uh, pretty much all of the overtime. Um, I uh, I took my nap in the afternoon. They were playing, and uh, I woke up, and they were tied. Uh, I think it was in the third. They were tied, and by the time I got downstairs and in front of the TV, overtime had just started. So I watched that. It was going to be movie night last night in, uh, in my house, and it was it was Dad's pick. So I was going to get to pick a movie last night, and I said, okay, I'll uh, I'll pick a movie as soon as, uh, as, soon as the game's over. Uh, we did not watch a movie last night because the game went forever. <laughs> So uh, the the movie we watched was the great game of hockey in overtime unfolding in front of us. So yeah, uh, those games are those games are memorable. I'm glad I got a chance to see it uh, because you know they're they're just those they just stick out to you for so long. Uh, you think back over the years and all those long overtime games. My daughter, while we were watching the game, she pulled up on her phone the longest overtime. She started talking about them, and you know she'd say she'd say a date. And I go I go does it say the goal scorer there? And she said yeah. And I go was it Primo? And she goes yeah. And it's it's you know you say the date and the teams, and you kind of remember a little bit of them. You kind of remember the goals a little bit to a certain extent. So there's something special about it. Uh, it when they get going long like that, uh, they're just they're just so memorable and so entertaining and just so nerve wracking. When you and Rod Phillips were doing Oilers games, uh, I mean, we focused on 06 a lot. Two double overtime games against Detroit, triple overtime game against San Jose. That, yeah, San Jose, that, for me, that's probably my best story about an overtime game, if you'll indulge me here for a moment, Reid. Uh, it was uh, in May, it was game three, right? And the Oilers were down 2 nothing in the series. And I remember driving to uh to the to the rink that night and i remember i remember it was a beautiful day driving through the river valley and i'm thinking i started to feel a little tickle in my throat and and i knew the next day it was an off day and i thought i just got to get through tonight if i just can get through tonight i'll get some rest and i'll be okay and you know just a little tickle in my throat and this was like four o'clock in the afternoon and as the game went along it got worse and by the end of the game I had I was basically swallowing razor blades, and by the time I got to the owner's dressing room and I saw the doctor post game, I had full blown pink eye. It was uh, incredible. Uh, I went from four o'clock in the afternoon thinking I just got to get through tonight, you know, in a few hours I'll be home, I can go to bed, I can sleep in tomorrow, and then the game goes into triple overtime, and I had to fight this thing all through it, and and so we went like you know five hours worth of hockey, and by the time the night was over, I was as sick as a dog. I could not swallow, my glands were swollen. I had pink eye. It was just a, a horrible final hour in the booth that night. I got some medicine from the doctor in the owner's dressing room after and went home and put it on and saw my doctor the next day and eventually recovered. I, I do to this day remember my doctor when I went to see him. Uh, he said, okay, uh, it is pink eye, so be careful. And he said, but what I need you to do is to rub your eyes and go shake hands with Joe Thornton when, you're done, when you get to San Jose. So. <laughs> I, uh, awesome. I neglected. I neglected to do that, but uh, the owners still won the series anyway. So yeah, that uh, that's, would not... that's my story. Well, a lot of people don't remember about overtime for the owners. Is I uh, Rod and I broadcast the longest Oilers overtime game, and if I say that to you, you probably think Boston, right, in the Stanley Cup. 
But that wasn't it. The longest overtime game was in 1999 against the Dallas Stars. Uh, it completed oh, a four-game right. sweep. Joe Newendike scored it. They went uh, 57 minutes of overtime uh, that night into the uh, late into the third overtime period. It completed a, a four-game sweep for the Stars, who went on to win the Stanley Cup uh, that year as well. So uh, that's that's the longest one. I did that one, and I also remember. Uh, 97, of course, Todd Marchant, right? Everybody remembers that. But uh, to me, I, I remember the the other, there was three overtime wins in that series for the Oilers, right? Game three, right. Uh, they're in Dallas. It went to double overtime, and uh, Ryan Smith scored, right? Uh, in the first minute of the second overtime period. Is I remember that, that really because, bad angle, weak shot that just yeah, went under was, I yeah. believe, uh, yeah, I believe that was uh, what Chris Pronger once deemed his muffin of a slap shot. Right. As well. Uh, but uh, I remember that because in the first intermission, uh, the first overtime intermission after the first overtime period, uh, the Oilers uh, traveling secretary and, uh, and, and management came up and they told Rod and I said, OK, if the game goes past the 10 minute mark of the second period, we're going to stay in Dallas tonight, go back to the hotel and stay in Dallas tonight. If uh, the game ends in the first 10 minutes, we're still going home to Edmonton tonight. And 22 seconds into the period, the game was over and we were traveled back to Edmonton that night. And And then. The great game in, uh, what was it, game five, right? The Otis were down by three with four minutes to go, tied the score. Uh, and then uh, and then Kelly Bookberger scored in overtime to win that one and uh, basically keep going in the series. So those that series in particular, I remember the overtime games very well. And I'm glad you brought up that ni- 1999 game because you're right. If you would have said to me the longest game in, in Oilers history, yeah, I just would have said, well, it had to be the Klima game. But, yeah, absolutely, that that is not... That's not the right answer. That's just the longest double- one they won. It's not the longest game they played in, though. <laughs> I'm just double-checking. So that that game with the Stars, April 27th, 99, that's the, now the 17th longest game in NHL history. Joe Newendike, 57-34 of overtime. And then the Klima goal, uh, 55-13 of overtime is the 19th longest game. Though I think that Klima one is still the longest one in the Cup final. Yes, it would be. Yeah, I think so, yeah. Yeah. All right. Well, I re- I did the first year I was in Lloyd, uh, the, the blade, they were called the Blazers and played Fort McMurray in the North final. And Fort McMurray was, had an awesome team and they were hosting the RBC cup. So, you know, in junior hockey, those teams tend to load yep. up a little bit too. Yep. And, and, and a lot of people that year, like people outside of Lloyd that year have told me that the Blazers might've had the second best team in, in junior a hockey that year, but they were in the same division as the team that has the best team. Yeah. Right. So they yeah. played in the North final. And if the Blazers are out, they didn't have a back door to get into the RBC cup. And Fort Mac won the first two games at home. The Blazers won game three and game four went, I think three and a half overtimes, but in junior A, I don't know if they still do this. They played the first overtime right after the third period ended and it was only 10 minutes long. So they didn't flood. They played 10 minutes and then, and then I think a couple years later, Camrose and Fort McMurray played some game that went five or six, but for a while, for two or three years, I'd covered the longest game in AJHL history, but it's since got, got surpassed but anyway random stories about long there's, games for yeah there's something special about those games though isn't there like you always remember you remember just little key plays little things that happen in those games and you know you remember if you're broadcasting struggling to find a bathroom break in some cases right because uh, especially especially when you're doing the junior games right you, you don't have a lot of time because you're you're also along with you know doing color and play-by-play you're also the host right so uh you have to find uh you have to put on stairway to heaven at some point right and go to the washer <laughs> well i 
should I should clarify it was I wasn't broadcasting I was covering it we didn't broadcast the games but I was covering it as a reporter and uh, but there was a point where it's just like uh, yeah I don't think we're gonna have highlights for the late night news because <laughs> we, we don't know what we're getting out of here six o'clock tomorrow we'll show the highlights there you go. Uh, and, and of course, back to the Oilers for a second when you're talking about key overtime goals. Can't forget Fernando in Game 5, right, in, in 2006. Happiest guy in the world that Fernando Pisani scored that goal was Steve Steos, who leaped out of the penalty box to congratulate him because it was a short, it was a short-handed goal, right? That uh, Fernando intercepted the pass and went in and, and scored on the breakaway. And, and if I could say one more overtime memory for me, my very first sports memory, the very first thing I can remember in sports period is Bobby Orr scoring in overtime on a Sunday afternoon in 1970. Oh, nice. And uh, that's that, that's the first thing I can remember in, in my sports memory banks. And, and of course, that's a, I, such an iconic goal. Everybody knows, it. as I say it, everyone pictures the goal, right? Nor flying through the air. Yeah. Awesome stuff. Morley, thanks for checking in. I know you got to go to bed soon, so I appreciate you doing this. <laughs> I, got, I got to go watch Big Brother first, then I'm going to bed. Oh, there you go. All right, have fun, buddy. We'll see you soon. <laughs> All right, Reed, talk to you later. That is Morley Scott, play-by-play voice for the Edmonton Football Club here on 6.30, Chet, and you get him doing your sports cast in the morning, so he'll be up at 4 o'clock and on air just before 6 with uh, all the scores and stories from today and uh, overnight. Second period has ended in Toronto. It's a 2-1 lead for the Flyers over the Canadians. We'll give you the full scoreboard before we sign off. Thanks a lot for tuning in tonight. So here's what we're looking at. The Flyers lead the Canadians 2-1 after two. Provorov and Farabee for the Flyers. Weber with the goal for the Canadians. Canucks and Blues will start at 8.30 at Rogers Place. The Bruins beat the Hurricanes 4-3 in double overtime. Bergeron a minute 13 into the second OT. Hurricanes coach Rod Brindamore fined after that game. Uh, because uh, he was unhappy with how a video video review went earlier in the game. He said, this is why the league's a joke, in my opinion, on these things. That one is a crime scene. About three hours later, he was fined uh, $25,000 for his comments with the threat of another $25,000 in the event of similar behavior over the next year. Islanders beat the Capitals 4-2. Avalanche shut up the Coyotes 3-0. Raptors win 125-121 over the 76ers. And in the bottom of the eighth, it is the Marlins leading the Blue Jays 11-10. At one point, it was 8-0 for the Marlins. Interesting game. Bob Stoffer has orders now from noon to 2. I'll be back with Inside Sports 6 to 8 tomorrow night. Thanks to Kellen Kennedy, our studio producer. Dave Campbell is the producer of the show. My name is Reed. Thank you so much for listening. Bacon Man, I got your text. Hey, I love you, buddy. Thanks for writing in. Talk to you tomorrow. 630 Chad Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at 6 on 630 Chad.